0: You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective, Gary Jenkins.
1: Welcome all you wiretappers out there, back here in the studio of Gangland Wire. I say the same thing over again, but I think people like that familiarity. I I have on a Zoom call and be on the audio podcast too, uh, my good friend that. Part-time co-host, really, uh, Cam, Camulus Robinson. Welcome, Cam. Hey, Gary, how you doing? Glad to be back. Well, welcome back, folks, to the second half of the Crazy Joey Gallo story. Immediately, what he starts doing is planning on killing Joe Colombo, because he thought he ought to be the boss of the old Profazzi family. So Pete the Greek starts telling stories about some of the many plots to kill Joe Colombo before he actually gets killed, which is, you know, one of those stories to this day is argued about on, on right. how the, who did that and, and how that went down, which it is. It's one of the strangest stories to me and mobbed them. Absolutely. Can, it's just like, what the hell? I mean, remember at the time reading it in the newspapers, like what the hell?
0: I kind of wonder if Frank Sheeran did it.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> And then killed Jerome Johnson. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Gave him up as, as a scapegoat, kind of like this, right. kind of like the uh, 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 JFK killing, Lee Harvey Oswald. Harvey yeah. Oswald, you know, they just they just shoved the black guy in there and, and reached around him and, and shot and killed Joe Colombo, and then said, "Hey, look what this guy did. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Let's kill him." <laughs> right. And they did. <laughs> So anyhow, they uh, they got a van. This is pretty complicated. That's why one thing good thing about this book is he's got all these great details. Yeah, they they, they cover the inside walls with mattresses and fiberglass to insulate any sound. And it's like something the cops would do in a way if you want a van in close, really close to whoever you're watching. If you're down by the, uh, you know, the, the Ravenite social club, you want to sit right across the street or right next to it. Why uh, you might insulate to make sure there's no sound comes out. Put a one way glass in the back door and the side panels and and a plywood partition between the driver and the rear compartment. I sat in mini vans that were uh, tricked out like that. One thing ours had a periscope in it. We could raise up, look like a vent vent on the top, but it was a periscope <laughs> that you could raise up. you could even put a attach a camera to it and shoot pictures through it. Um,
0: There's not and, a lot of guys that can bring stories like that.
1: here. <laughs> they also drilled some holes. This is this is reminiscent of the uh, uh, Washington D.C. Beltway killers. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember that That's father right. and son, they, That's they, right. the father had the son drive and he had that, it was a big shibby full-size car and he got yeah. in the trunk and, and drilled a hole in the trunk and then uh, he'd pull up to a gas station or wherever people were stopped and with their cars and standing around for a little bit and, and they'd shoot and kill people. So they drilled a couple of holes big enough, to stick the rifle barrel out and got a scoped rifle. And, and uh, First thing, the worst one they tried, Clumbo, I guess, had a funeral parlor. I didn't really remember that. But it's right out of, uh, um, uh, if you ever watch a movie, The Seven Ups, uh, I think Roy Snyder was in it. Maybe it's about this, uh, like the intelligence unit. Watching mobsters, uh, uh, and so their their surveillance. Is, I think it's early on in the movie. They start out there watching a funeral parlor, and they've got a guy undercover inside with the funeral parlor. Another story about this: the Seven Ups was a squad that that only arrested people that they got convicted of felonies with seven years or more. Kind of mm-hmm. a stupid title, but it was a pretty good mob movie, actually, a little known mob movie. So anyhow, they're they're staked out this funeral parlor in this uh, van. Talking, watching people come and go, and and some kid had gone in and came back out and walked right toward the van, and then started checking the door handles, and looking inside. And boy, that happens to you all the time when you're out there in a the van. Kids would come along and, and just wonder if it's open, uh, uh, see if there's anything. They get in there and steal, and and then go on. Uh, so, but they they figured they were burnt, so they they gave up on that plan, then moved to his house. And one night they thought they saw him leave. He started to leave. And and then some other guys came out, and jumped in a Lincoln and and drove straight at the van, but then went right on by. They were jumpy as hell. They think it's like typical cops. You always think you're burnt. People always think they're burnt immediately. And all you got to do is just be quiet and calm and don't jump. Don't do anything until it's obvious, because if you're burnt, they let you know you're burnt. But there you guys were jumping and they thought they were burnt already and then it looked like Columbo came out. And then a police car arrived and and uh, said Pete DeGreek, he noticed that that the guy that they thought Columbo was really a lookalike and wasn't really Columbo. And and so they ended up giving up. There is uh, too much effort, thought they were
0: burnt and, and uh, uh, it, it just became too hard to do that. I kept thinking about the words reading this of 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 Cork Savella talking about you've got to you've gotta lay on a guy, you've gotta yeah. lay on him, you've gotta lay on him. Uh and it seems like a lot of the guys in the Gallo crew, uh, with the exception of Pete the Greek, just didn't want to lay on him. They just right. wanted to show up and and, and fire the gun and, and right. just take off and go get a drink. They didn't yep. uh they didn't want to put in the work. Yeah, a lot yeah. of them,
1: as, as he said, you, you got to go where they go. That's right. You got to be a block away, less than a block away. You got to, you got to sit on them. You got to lay mm-hmm. on them. And I remember that term "lay on." I remember Frank Calabrese Jr. was the first one I heard talking about that he said, you know, we, we lay on a guy. I never really heard that before, but we lay on a guy. He said, sometimes you get like a refrigerator box Well, in a big city. Say, so you don't, you know, like you can't get a car on the street. Sometimes you can't get in a good position. Maybe you can't get an, it's best to get an apartment right across the street and look out the window, but you could take a refrigerator box and set it out there. A couple, cut a couple of holes in it and, and mm-hmm. sit there for a long time before anybody's going to mess with you. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's, uh, the way to kill somebody like that, it, it's a tough way to do it because you got to have patience. Uh, we had the same problem with other policemen, you know, and they, they, they want to go out and drive by. And if there's nothing right there, they just drive on and go look somewhere else. They just want to keep moving. The, the guys that did better were the guys who just sat and watched and waited. And then you you make those connections, see people show up and see what's really going on. You can't just do it just by driving by. hmm. So they continue on. And, and during this time, Joe Colombo, and I don't really know, remember a lot about this. There's a lot of uh, discussion about this Italian American rights organization that Joe Colombo uh, formed. I remember when the Godfather first came out, they uh, all the Italian people in Kansas city bought out the tickets. It was a, wasn't a, it wasn't a mob connected deal. It was uh God, the uh, what's the name of it? Uh, Columbus something, because Columbus Park was the area where Italians first moved into. But they had an organization that bought out all the tickets, refused to go. So Joe Colombo had started this organization to support Italian
0: American American Civil Rights Rights League.
1: Right. And uh,
0: and, you know, one thing they were against was all this media attention on the mafia. Well, it was a it was a big damn scam. But you notice in the Godfather, they never say "cosa nostra" and they never say the word "mafia." Yeah. That was because because uh, Colombo said they couldn't say it. He had the unions, he had the film unions, and he said they couldn't say those two terms. They do say them in Godfather too, because Columbo was dead. But they don't say him in Part One. Ah, interesting. I didn't. I hadn't picked up on that
1: but uh so he's he's done this and i understand he was making money out of this thing and there was a lot of jealousy a lot of money. also uh, uh among other of my bosses to see him do this uh, well for whatever reason he's there's they like have a demonstration at columbus circle of all places they're in uh, uh i think it's on the west side of of manhattan uh can't remember how far up it is, like, I don't know, 60, 70 some street, uh, up, 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 right off of, if you go up Broadway, I believe, while you come mm-hmm. to Columbus Circle, right next to Central Park. So he's got a, he's had a big demonstration and getting a lot of press attention, a lot of press people there and news, news photographers are there and, and there's a black dude there that's got a camera and, he pushes up close and, and he pulls a gun or he's got a gun and he shoots and kills Joe Columbo. And then one of Colombo's bodyguards shoots and kills him. Guy's name was Jerome Johnson and they were never able to solve this murder. Uh, the official theory is he was a lone gunman. I, I don't know.
0: Uh, what, what do you think about that? You know, uh, I think that the, the, the easy answer is that the, Joe Gallo made connections with uh, with black guys and that and that he got this guy to to kill uh, to kill uh, Columbo. But after reading this book, you know, this casts quite a bit of doubt on that. Now, now, do, you remember,
1: do you remember what Pete the Greek claimed?
0: You know, Pete the Greek says he had a bunch of different theories, but he said they didn't really have any connection to Uh, Jerome Johnson, and that none of the guys that they knew had connection. Uh, He says that, uh, uh, was it, uh, Abby shots about a Marco's son might have done it because he had a bunch of policy and he might have done it because he was mad at the gallows for his father. He said that the the Columbo's uh, themselves might have done it uh, because they, I I don't know, he said that Carlo Gambino might have done it and used a black guy because he wanted to, put, uh, he wanted to direct the suspicion at Gallo, but he had a bunch of different theories. Um, all of them were designed to point the attention at the gallows. What's interesting about this, though, is even in 1976, Pete the Greek is saying, he, you know, it, it wasn't us. And, and we knew that they were coming after us and that everybody thought it was us. Yeah. He talks about You know, Pete the Greek, uh, I guess he did not have uh, another thing to keep in mind is he didn't have immunity at the time this was written. So if he had planned a murder, you know, he talks about several times they were they were going to to commit murders. But I don't remember any time where he talks about actually he talks about shooting people who shot at him. Yeah. So I don't know if he would be as free with information that he had shot. But he's he's pretty insistent that they did not kill Columbo.
1: You know, and
0: um, it's hard to say.
1: I found some other information indicated this Jerome Johnson had placed a bomb at the Italian American Civil Rights League office a few months before. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, he and he could be a lone gunman. He could be just a guy that, you know, Joe Colombo was in the news all the time. Uh, You know, people people get fixated on people like that. I mean, that happens and they they go out and try to kill him for whatever reason. Uh, but it was in the middle of the mob war between the Gallows and the Columbus. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Joey Callow did have pretty well-known connections in the black gangster community now, but they didn't really connect this Jerome Johnson yeah. out, particularly with uh, the, one of the heroin gangs or something. So I, I don't know. It's uh, I guess, I guess Frank Sheeran must've done it. It's the only thing I can say. <laughs> it's
0: right. It's, it's interesting though, when, when, Dapolis begins talking about it because you really see how how these street guys minds have to work. I mean, he starts weaving together this huge web of intrigue and he comes up with a bunch of different theories yeah. and you realize how these guys have to look at it from 17 different angles because if you don't, you're dead. If you don't yeah. see 17 different possibilities and 17 different people to be, you know, to be suspicious of and x amount of people who are all trying to kill you one time that's how you end up dead i mean that's that's you really don't have too many friends because any any of them could kill you and it one that's one of the things i really appreciate about this book is it just shows the the thought process of a street guy yeah it does that so
1: now we're we're on up into the 1972 and the death of Joey Gallo. Uh, everybody knows he's died, so there's no big reveal here at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Pete the Greek was there that night, which is uh, there's like a couple of different stories about that. The one he told, and there's one that other people told uh, under oath that uh, Cam found a uh, New York Times newspaper article that,
0: that yeah he discusses that article in the book too. Beat the Greek and and
1: his girlfriend, his, uh, his Gumari, I guess, and Joy and his wife and Joy's sister and what I thought was interesting, his ten year old daughter was out with him. They were out celebrating his birthday, and they went to the coca Cabana and were drinking champagne. Now I got to do a story on the coca Cabana and, and the mob and music business and all that. So that you look, you can look at that one way. coming. Uh, uh, that that Copa Cabana goes way back with the mob, I think, to Costello and and uh, back into the thirties, forties, yeah. and fifties. But anyhow, on that particular night, Pete the Greek said Don Rickles was a floor show.
0: It and, happened and, exactly like, honestly. This is the scene. The scene in the Irishman, yeah, comes from this book
1: where oh, he yeah, bumps
0: yeah. where he bumps into Buffalino and says, right. "What's it used to that bullshit league and you know? all." Everything in that movie, whoever wrote that scene had access to that book, just just for for the audience. So, you know, whoever's that scene in The Irishman comes directly word for word. From the six family by by Peace Diapolis. it it's it's interesting because in reading it, I, I, you know, you can really see that whoever wrote that scene did have access to this book. yeah,
1: and and did Frank Sharon read this book in order to put himself into the
0: uh, well, murder? But so. what we know is based on based on reading the epilogue, we know that Charles Brandt read this book because he, he comments on it two or three times. So Charles yeah, okay, Brant okay. talks about, he talks about this book. So we, we know that, that he read it before he wrote, I Heard You Paint Houses. Yeah, okay,
1: interesting. But, um, Don Rickles insults everybody, Pete the Greek says, and, and even some Italians as usual, but uh, he was always pretty careful with certain people, he even like looked up uh, there was like an upper terrace where the gallow party was made some comments and Joey stood up and acted like he was going to throw champagne down. Rickles kind of did a little play like that. And another interesting little inside baseball, if you will, Pete the Greek claims that, uh, his ten-year-old daughter, Gallo's ten-year-old daughter, is smoking a cigarette. She asked her dad for a light. Now, I don't know. That's like you wouldn't make something like that up. I would not think of it. I mean, uh, who knows? I, mean,
0: I times I was, have changed a bit.
1: I was ten year old. Ten years old, there were some little, well, some of the little tough guys that that did smoke cigarettes. So oh, yeah,
0: my my father says he started. Picking up butts when he was eight. Yeah. That's so, what he said. Of course, he's no longer with us. And so that was more yeah, or less because go. of
1: cigarettes. So probably this Gallo <laughs> daughter isn't still with us either. That'd be interesting to find her in her side in this story. But uh, uh so yeah, that's and, and as Cam said, he uh meet the Greek, says, you know, Russell Buffalino's there, and yep. uh Joy Gallo and Buffalino talk and and uh he knows, Joy knows that Buffalino is supporting Joe Colombo and the, uh, Colombo's Italian American civil rights group. And, and, you know, he makes some derogatory comment that night. Do you really believe in that bullshit league? And, uh, Creek says, Buffalino didn't smile, <laughs> said he just looked away and didn't smile at all. He didn't think it was funny. And, and, and it was so tense that another mobster at the table stood up and took joy by the arm and kind of. That was Frank.
0: Away.
1: That was Frank.
0: Oh was it a oh, Frank Sharon? Yeah, in, okay. yeah, in Pete in Diapolis's book he said Frank the 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 goon who was with the uh, oh, was okay. with uh, Yeah, he said that that was the that was He's like, "Oh, come on, Joey, we don't, you know, let's let's just have a drink." You yeah. know, you can't talk to him, he's a boss, he, you know.
1: I think Pete said, "Oh, I see now in my notes. Pete
0: said so, he's a boss, I'm a boss," you know. Yep.
1: And and it was like, you know, he was like throwing up into his face. And he was already, you know, uh, in this war with Columbo's and they already were we're plotting and plotting to kill him. This was the night, as we mentioned earlier, that Jerry Orbach was there, and and he and, and Joey, according to Pete, invited Orbach and his wife to go out for food, but they declined. They weren't. They didn't know. It wasn't a real insider. It wasn't Pete the Greek. That then had told them and then steered them to the Umberto's Clam House that night, for example. they Nobody knew where they were going because what Pete the Greek said, Joey wanted to eat Chinese and drove to Chinatown. Right. And the place they wanted to go, a place called Ling's, was closed. And so then they're just driving around. And Chinatown just blends right into Little Italy and the Mulberry <clears throat> Street, if you've ever been there. I, uh, I didn't really realize it until I went there once and realized they're like, cheek by jowl, as we they're like right next to each other and yeah they saw a big sign from umberto's clam house and so they pulled over and uh uh actually the brother to the guy that known is a guy named matthew Ionello.
0: maddie the horse
1: maddie the horse who was big in
0: uh, uh 42nd genovese street
1: he was a genovese guy and, and ran a lot of the porn and, and all the the rackets down around 42nd street he was a, a pretty well-known mobster at the time Another mob associate uh, called Joe Pesch, uh, or no, wait a minute. Yeah, there was a guy called Joe Pesh, but there was a guy named Joseph Luperelli. And mm-hmm. he was he becomes important. He claims that they hollered out to Matty, the horse and said, How's the food? And he said, Well, my brother owns a place, the food's good. So they went into Umberto's clam house to celebrate much Joey Gallo's 43rd birthday. Lupari would help write a book afterwards. And he also was testified to this and and, uh, Cam found the newspaper article about that testimony. Can you tell us about that, Cam, what he said on that night?
0: So what he, what, what Luparelli said is that uh, he was a hanger on, he wanted to be a made guy and he had sort of done some work for, for Maddie the horse and he was trying to get tight with the Columbos. He sees Joey Gallo pull in and he, uh, he runs down the street to where he knows some of his, uh, Columbo guys are, uh, uh, kind of, uh, Carmen dibiasi and, a couple of brothers. And, uh, 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 they make a call to, uh, Joe Iacovelli, who's the, uh, the consigliere for the, um, Columbos. He says, go ahead. And t- he makes a phone call to the Genovese. He says, okay, go ahead and take him out. So they gather up a bunch of guns. Uh, these, Sonny Pinto uh, is a, it's DiBiase and a couple of brothers and uh four or five of them run down there and they see the Gallo brothers and they they shoot it up they kill them, and they all run out Pete the Greek fires after them he uh, he unloads his pistol after them hits the back of the car Ty- yeah he got he got shot he got too he got he got shot in the rear end and then I think he shot out the tire was it the tire that he hit but he shot the car. They parked the car at uh, uh, one of the guy's mother's houses and they all, they were all hiding out. Luparelli, uh Pirelli, DiBiase, Joe Pesch, uh, uh, These guys were all hiding out at the safe house. So Luperelli starts going stir crazy. He starts thinking that the uh, Columbo's are trying to poison him. So he's going crazy. And this whole time, the police are, they're listening in on a wiretap now did i'm trying to remember did uh, luperelli gave up the apartment and so the police start listening in on a wiretap so they're listening to every call every call that goes in uh luperelli's working with the police and and at the same time he's worried that these guys are poisoning him so every call that goes in and out of this apartment for the next couple of weeks about this murder and about killing Joe Gallo and, and the Colombo's plans and how they're gonna get these guys safe and how they're gonna get them out of New York. The cops record. So there's no, there's no question that you know the cops have recordings of these guys on record talked about we just shot Joe Gallo, and here's what we're gonna do to get out of the city. And then Luperelli goes into uh, uh protected protective custody and he testifies. They, uh, they, he gives up a lot of Colombo information. They've got these recordings. I don't know that anybody went down because I think that, no. uh, yeah, I think that people disappeared and they didn't, they, they didn't have enough uh, evidence because I think they were. It might have been illegal wiretap. I can't remember. It probably but, was uh, at that point yeah, in time. I think, it think they were just. Was. I think that yeah, seventy. Yeah, I think they were just trying to get the information. But uh, uh, Luparelli gave up a bunch of information. This was back when when they would get guys just to get the information on the mob, especially in the 70s. Uh, And um, they didn't get any of the guys. So officially, nobody was charged. But they did record all the information, listen in on it while these guys described all the details of the murder. Those details were then given to the New York Times, who wrote an article about it. When that article came out, uh, Pete the Greek was still in the hospital. I mean, this article came out within a couple weeks yeah. of Gallo's murder. Pete the Greek was still recuperating. He was being Pete the Greek was charged. He got a handgun charge.
1: Yeah, he's a felon, I think. Anyhow, that's right. So, and, they, and then they had him with a handgun. So, yeah.
0: yeah, he read that article and he started putting things together in his mind and running through. And he had a pretty good idea who it, who was responsible. But that article finally solidified everything. So,
1: he, he named, uh, De, what was that guy's name, DiBlasi? DiBiasi. yeah, DiBiasi.
0: Uh, Sonny Pinto, and uh Luperelli and uh, Joe, pa- what, that's another thing about this book, is how everybody knows everybody, how small yeah. the criminal world is, <laughs> yeah. everybody knows Greek, and everybody knows yeah. this one and that one, and uh, he recognized all the guys right off, even if he, you know, he's a guy that he only knew just a little bit, but it's it's incredible how he recognized all these guys just by sight. And I guess that's, you have to uh, in that, in the life. But, but, but uh, he,
1: he didn't testify against any, nobody testified no, no, against no. him. And that's why there was no charges brought against anybody except right. except Pete uh, uh, the Greek because they had him with a gun. You know, they didn't need another mobster to testify about that. They had the cops and, and the other squirt Johns that were sitting in the, uh, Tavern. Plus, they probably could uh, forensically uh, tie that gun to uh, to Diapolis. So he ends up yeah. doing some time.
0: He's the only one that did any time on that was yeah. Diapolis. <laughs> so. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the guy who got shot up and shot back was the guy who uh, Carmine DiBiasi, Sonny Pinto, the guy who he says and who the article says and who the uh, who the cops recorded saying shot up the place. Uh, did no time. He was eventually murdered. Uh, I forget what the details were of that, but Carmine DiBiase, Sonny Pinto, he owned a social club. He was killed for something. I can't remember the details. Oh, yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't look into But that. yeah, he was, he was murdered. Um, but yeah, he was, he was the primary shooter, Carmine, Sonny Pinto, uh, DiBiase. And, uh, Uh, Oddly enough, nobody on those recordings mentions Frank Sheeran
1: and and Gallo's (laughs) widow said that there were multiple men. All of them were short and appeared to be Italian.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. She did not mention any six foot two Irishmen. (laughs) Right. Now,
1: uh, the war kind of like continues on, but, uh, you know, uh, it eventually blows up. Uh, Albert is a kid is he kid kid blast kid Kid blast Blast, gallo he's he strikes back he sends a gunman and he imports from out of town supposedly from las vegas (sighs) to a restaurant where he thought some uh some of these colombo men were eating they were at they were at the bar that Joseph
0: neapolitan noodle
1: oh yeah joseph jacobelli and alley boy persico Mm-hmm. And Gennaro Langella were—he uh, thought they were responsible, and they were all, you know, in and around this thing. They may not have been exact shooters, but Jacobelli uh, certainly was a guy that sent him over there. As well, was yeah, was my understanding from that other, uh, uh, what, what was that guy's name? Also, I lost his name again, but the one that gave the, the testimony about uh, Luparelli. Luparelli, What he he named Jacobelli as a guy that kind of orchestrated everything that night.
0: Yeah. So anyhow,
1: um, they uh, uh, he sent this guy over there, and a the Yackabelly party was sitting at the bar. You know, somebody told him about it there at the bar. He, he sends his gunman in, and they get seated. The the hostess comes by and says, "Your table's ready." And four Jewish kosher meat salesmen sat at the bar, and their wives went off to the bathroom, as often will happen. Uh, this killer ent- enters and he starts shooting at the four men <laughs> seated at the bar, kills two and wounded the other two, mm-hmm. but they're the wrong guys. Uh, the story is that uh, the Greek said there was a big uproar, and he claims that the mayor at the time, John Lindsay, sent a Jewish rabbi over to the President Street Social Club of the Gallows and talked to Larry Gallo and and said, you know, we <laughs> we we got to stop this stuff and, and, you know, trying to mediate their things and and the authorities never identified the gunman and no informant ever came forward and then iacovelli left new york and persico became the new boss of the colombo family so
0: yeah that was a that was a big you know when you read about mob blunders the Neapolitan noodles always (laughs) really is is always one of the first (laughs) that comes up that was uh that was a big damn deal they talk about the gang that couldn't shoot straight i mean they Killing those killing those uh those kosher meat salesmen because the uh the guys they were actually trying to shoot had been seated in the restaurant was uh was yeah and, and good.
1: And another then the story that came out of that eventually was the commission steps in and says, Okay, this is done. Yeah. You guys are done unless you're gonna you're gonna incur everybody else's rap. This is done. Persico allows Albert. Gallo and his crew, what yeah. he's got left uh to be part of the Genovese family. And and he under governor, Chin. Uh, I oh yeah, under Vincent Digante. And and so his he ends his days as kind of a respected captain of a crew back in his old neighborhood of Red Red Hook. As uh uh far as I could tell, he was still alive at age ninety in twenty nineteen. So I'm not yeah. sure if Albert Gallo's I want to say
0: he just died. I, I think I, he I just died.
1: Reading. Okay. So the last of the Gallo crew. So it's,
0: uh, I tell you what, this is a heck of a book by Pete DeCrieg, Diapolis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. If you can, if you can find it, it really goes through, it shows their rackets and how they, they rip off regular people and how they think and how they act and how they work. Uh, it really, the six family along with my life in the mafia by, uh, Vinnie Teresa. I mean, they really show those rackets and how they, you know, kind of odious these guys are with, right. with just going after normal people.
1: Pete the Greek. Uh, he did a little bit of time, not a lot, came back out and he was just done. He, I think he was somehow, he he and Joey Gallo had a connection. You know what I mean? Now you just have a connection mm-hmm. with somebody. I think they had some kind of a connection and, and he did not have that same connection with Albert and Albert was the only one mm-hmm. left that had a crew. And, and he just, uh, what he still writes in his book is he just laid back. He kind of hung around the edges. He went to Greece for a while, I believe, and and slowly but surely just extracted himself out of that lifestyle. Uh, He uh, uh, collected some money from some old kind of interesting. He he said he collected some money from another mob guy who had collected. They had uh, settled a strike for a small manufacturer. You know, when you call the mob in to settle your strike, you know what that means. Then you pay them uh, uh, (laughs) money to settle your strike. Peaceful
0: negotiations, right, Gary?
1: <laughs> so I, as far as I could tell, Pete the Greek, Diapolis was never involved in any criminal behavior again. I'm not even sure if he came back from Greece. I, I think he did, but uh, I'm not sure.
0: Um, and it, it, what, what's funny is he was really riding Joe throughout this this book. They Joe Gallo talks about writing his book, and Joey Gallo wants to write write Joey Gallo's book, yeah, and how careful he's gonna have to be. And then Joey Gallo's dead for a couple of years. And Pete the Greek is all you can't write a book, you can't write a book, you can't write a book. And as soon as Gallo's dead, the first thing Pete the Greek does is write a book. <laughs> so well that ends
1: thus ends the story of crazy Joey Gallo. It was kind of a folk hero. Uh Bob Dylan wrote a song yeah. about him titled Joey. Uh he, he kind of cultivated that image, as I said, of uh, this gangster folk hero, uh, the bandit that everybody wants to see get away and uh, associated with the art scene in New York, which had never been done before. Um, <laughs> Dylan, Dylan said, uh, I got a quote from him. I never really considered him a gangster. I always considered him some sort of a hero, an underdog fighting against the elements. So, And he was, <laughs> he was, and, and you know, we always like an underdog and yep. he was like, the gang that couldn't shoot straight, but he had this little crew was a pretty good sized crew. But he always fought against the bosses. Yep, uh, always fought against the bosses, no matter what. He just uh, would not give up that fight against the bosses.
0: He just had that tenacity, and and I do I do kind of liken him to the to the sparrows. You know, just that yeah. that that sort of not going down, whether it. And there's no, I don't think there was any way. I mean, Joey had the street smarts, but I don't think he was going to be able to run his own family or anything. I, I, but, you know, he's, he wasn't going to go down. You know, those brothers, those Gallo brothers weren't going to go down.
1: No, they didn't. Well, I got the last one. The last one did. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, he didn't go down. He, he, he didn't win either. He, uh, he was willing to, uh, finally willing to compromise and,
0: and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> got <laughs> all five families after you yeah, really.
1: Yeah, really. Uh, Joey would never compromise. There was no compromise at Joey Gallo. So, uh, but he is one of the most famous colorful figures of the mafia in the 1950s, right. I would say. And uh, next to the murder of Albert Anastasia, uh, this is the other most famous murder mob murder ever was a night oh, yeah. at umberto's clam house i even remember this before i got two inch i was working the organized crime unit so i'd read some of the books but but somehow that whole uh murder in umberto's clam house the way that whole thing went down who joey gallo was that always resonated with me and it always it, i always remember mm-hmm. that absolutely all right well, kim i think we've done joey gallo I appreciate Definitely. you helping me with this and uh, talk a little bit about what you're doing. You've got a book coming out here pretty soon.
0: So folks, I do. It, uh, his book. It, it's the uh, uh, marriage to the mob and other misadventures with uh, uh, Lisa Swan, the ex-wife of uh, Frank Calabrese jr. Uh, it's been a little uh, delayed with, with this uh, global pandemic has uh, has slowed things down at the publishing house, but it should be coming out very soon. And uh, we'll be doing the, uh, the media tour, as it were, trying to, trying to get to on some some podcasts and different things. And uh, I look for it. I'm, I'm getting ready to work on my next uh, project, but that book will be out very shortly. All right. Well, we
1: look forward to anything you do in the future, Cam. I appreciate you being coming on the show.
0: Absolutely. All right. Talk to you
1: later. Bye. Well, folks, that ends a, another Gangland Wire episode. I uh, really appreciate you tuning in and listening, however you listen to it, whether it's on the website or on one of the apps. I, I also want to express my thanks and sincere appreciation for the kind reviews that you've given me uh, on the app or the Apple app or, or some of the other podcast apps. I don't check. I used to check them when I first did this. I checked them a lot, but I don't check them anymore so once Once in a while, I look at them. Uh, Sometimes I get, you know, sometimes I get my feelings hurt, especially on YouTube, but that's okay. Uh, If you put yourself out there, you you better not have a thin skin. I've learned that, Uh, you know, my most recent documentary, I really want to express extra appreciation to the people that stepped up and helped me finance that movie and and able to increase the production values, Uh, hired a professional to do the reenactment scenes and some of the other things. And got some better music I had to pay for. And we have it out now. Now, the last time I did one of these endings for the uh, uh, podcast, I I had a different title. I changed the title just at the last minute. It's now about theft, burglary, murder, and cover up. So I encourage you to come on the website. I can't get it on Amazon like I have Brothers Against Brothers and Gangland Wire because they changed their rules. And if I can't get a theatrical release, like a major film studio, or get it in a major film festival, which is kind of like, uh, um, uh, I don't know what it's like. It's, it's, it's dang near impossible unless you're politically connected to some of the people that run these film festivals. And a guy like me uh, doesn't really have a chance. It's been my experience. I fought that a few years back and, and I gave up. It's, it's too much effort for uh, too little payoff. Uh, but if you want to stream it, it's on my website for $1.99. I figured out a way to do that. And uh, you, you, you pay me $1.99 and I will send you a link to stream it. As well as my other two movies, you want to stream them for $1.99. Of course, I have the DVDs for sale. Or if you make a donation, why, uh, I'll give you the DVD and give you a streaming uh, link too or a book or Kindle book, whatever you want. Yeah, you guys kind of know the drill by now. If you've been listening to it, if not, just go to my donate page. I, uh, uh, one last thing. I've kind of uh, dogged off on this PTSD thing. I used to always uh, uh, want to try to promote that. So uh, if you've been listening to podcasts, you know what to do. But uh, if you have any problems with PTSD and you know, and you're a veteran, then you know, go to the VA. If not, go to the VA website or just Google VA hospital PTSD and they've got a hotline and they've got a lot of resources. And even if you're not a veteran or if you just know a veteran, you can you can go there and find the resources. If you're not a veteran, you can go there and find resources. So I appreciate all your support over the years and uh, we'll see you again next week or listen to you next week or you'll listen to me. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.